you're listening to Salus University's Health Science Starts Here. Today we're talking about apraxia. More specifically, childhood apraxia of speech. The American Speech-Language Hearing Association states that childhood apraxia of speech is a neurological childhood speech sound disorder in which the precision and consistency of movements underlying speech are impaired in the absence of neuromuscular deficits. Now I'm sure you're thinking, that means absolutely nothing to me because it doesn't make much sense to me either. So that's why we asked the clinical director of our Speech-Language Institute to explain exactly what that all means. I am Trish Mayro, and I am the Interim Clinical Director of the Speech-Language Institute at Salus University, and I'm also an Assistant Professor in Speech-Language Pathology. Great. Thank you for being here today. My pleasure. So, today we're talking about apraxia, which is something that you are now officially an expert on. So, could you tell us a little bit about what apraxia is? So, my expertise, so to speak, is in childhood apraxia of speech, which is Uh, a motor speech disorder for children. And for reasons that we don't fully understand yet, children with apraxia of speech have great difficulty planning and programming the precise movements for speech. So moving their lips and their jaw and their tongue uh, precisely and in the right order to produce intelligible speech. So this is a disorder of childhood. There also is apraxia for adults, but we usually know why adults acquire apraxia, and it's usually because of a stroke or a head injury or some such thing. But with children, um, a lot of the time we really don't know why they have such difficulty with their motor speech. And that's, that's something that we're researching now. So do you notice that children kind of experience apraxia at a certain developmental stage? So normally what happens is parents start to become concerned because they have a very quiet baby. And at first it's great because all their friends say, oh, how's the baby? Oh, she's so quiet. She doesn't fuss at all. But then when it comes to be about two years old, they say, well, why isn't my child saying anything yet? And then the concern develops, and we try to figure out why isn't this child speaking. And sometimes it's because it's a motor problem. So childhood apraxia speech means that they have trouble coordinating their movements. So parents, uh, if you ask them to look back on their child's babyhood, they'll say, yeah, they really didn't babble much and really didn't make a lot of cooing noises. Um, they, they watched everything, but they didn't really make noise. And that's one of the red flags that we would ask about when we were doing a, a, like a case history to find out, well, what was the early time for this child like? Uh, so what are some early signs of childhood apraxia that parents can look for? So parents become concerned when their child is late to start talking. Uh, even though the child may understand language perfectly well, if they're not talking, that's one of the first concerns. And one of the things they'll notice, that the parents will notice, is the child had limited babbling. Uh, they didn't really have um, a lot of noise as a child, let's say, going or babbling. But then when the child starts to try to talk, they have a lot of errors in their speech. They'll have vowel er- errors, which is unusual. So they'll, they'll not pronounce the vowels in words very well. Some of their words will sound like um, the stress is wrong. So either it'll have the same even stress. So we would say banana, but a child with apraxia might say banana. 
and not really make a different stress. Also, kids with apraxia sometimes have very um, sort of stilted language because it's hard, it's a movement disorder, so it's hard for them to move from one syllable to the next. So you might have spaces and pauses in between syllables. So they'll say something like banana as ba na na. If they're having a lot of trouble, they might even leave out the consonants and say uh, ah, uh. So that, those are some of the signs that we say, hmm, this looks like a motor speech disorder. And parents who hear that in their children are wise to consult a speech language pathologist. That's great. So how would you assess clients who have apraxia in terms of like severity and what kind of tests do you do exactly? Uh, well, the, th the first thing is that uh, it's good that a speech-language pathologist evaluates because we are the professionals that uh, have the background in speech and language development. And an evaluation would entail a very careful case history to find out how the child was developing early on. Uh, we would do an inventory of their speech sounds and find out what kind of syllable shapes they're able to produce. So we call it is it, are they stuck on a consonant vowel like the word me or hi? Or can they do a, a longer syllable shape like banana or uh, something with several consonants in it? So we'll look at that. We'll look at, compare their development with what we know of normal speech development to see if there's a lag. We'll also ask them to repeat syllables after us and see if they can imitate. Um, if they can imitate, that's a good sign for us. Um, definitely, we will look at their oral structure, so we'll do what we call an oral mechanism exam and make sure that they can move their lips and their tongue and their jaw and see that their palate moves correctly and that everything looks structurally sound. And we'll also try to get them to move quickly, so we'll do imitations of very quick rate like pa 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 and see if they can imitate that. If we see a breakdown in that, that's a key to us that, oh, that a motor involvement might be happening with this child. And then we also look at how, how do they intend to communicate, Are, because that's a big sign for us. If the child has a lot of intention to communicate, but they can't produce the speech, that's another sign to us that um, it might be a motor involvement for them, an apraxia. And then... If that's the case, if we suspect that it really is apraxia, we'll do what we call a motor speech exam. And basically what that is, is that we try to get them to repeat longer and more difficult and more challenging syllable strings and see where they break down. Um, and that's a sign for us that as, as sentences get longer and longer, it gets harder and harder for kids with apraxia to say all those syllables. So that's a, another way that we can figure out if apraxia is present. So can children grow out of apraxia? Well, we have had kids who get really good skills because of they have really good therapy. But I wouldn't say that they actually grow out of it, more that they have really honed their skills for speech. And most people who have been diagnosed as children with apraxia will say as adults, I still have trouble when I'm very tired or if I'm stressed or if there's a, a, like a big vocabulary word that I'm not usually saying all the time. I sometimes get tripped up on that. But by and large, most people become intelligible. So we, we see you know, people who grow out of it in the sense that they can hold a conversation. Right. So what types of therapy or treatment can clients expect when they have apraxia? 
Well, it will be intensive therapy. So the research is showing that it really requires at least three times a week, up to five times a week. And shorter sessions frequently are much better than long sessions intermittently. So normally we would suggest three to four times a week for at least a half hour per day. Um, and we would work on the movements of speech. So a, a lot of it would be kind of drill work, but it would, you know, with little kids, we try to make it fun and we, we do a lot of game playing and we do things that motivate them. But really we're working on those movement skills. And I sort of compare it sometimes when I'm explaining it to families, like uh, when you're learning how to play basketball. And at first you have to do the drill with, you're just doing free throw shots with the basketball. And you stand in one spot and you keep throwing it and throwing it until you get really consistent in hitting the basket. And then you start to move around the court and seeing if you could hit it from different part points on the court. And then you start to have a challenger come at you and you try. It's the same thing with speech. You can practice over and over again a single unit, but that's not going to help you be conversational. You have to sort of expand it to different situations and eventually into conversation. Um, so. Uh, I'm not a basketball player, but that seems that that analogy seems to yeah, help families to understand it. So, so do you find that you're kind of helping parents mostly follow through with the therapy and the treatment when they're at home as well? Definitely, because I have to tell you the aspect of apraxia for children that is so um, important to me is the impact that it has emotionally. It's so hard when you can't communicate, and parents often feel really helpless. They, they, they're so sad that their child is struggling so much. And so that piece of it, I think, is very important. Not only the actual speech therapy that we're doing, but the emotional support of the family and encouragement and showing them how they can practice at home to have really good out outcomes for their child. So that emotional piece really is important for me. So obviously babies not really making noises generally when they're developing is a big sign, but how would a parent then go about possibly contacting their like primary care doctor or how would they get in touch with an SLP down the line? So parents often go to the pediatrician first because they're concerned about their child, and that's a smart thing to do, but very often pediatricians don't know why a child is not talking. So the best idea is to consult a speech-language pathologist. Uh, we have plenty of speech-language path pathologists at the Speech-Language Institute at Salis University, but in general, families can contact their, um, usually in the county that they live, there is an early intervention program that they can contact. And it's a, a free evaluation for families, and they can be evaluated through that system or they can go through a private speech-language pathologist. Or if they would like to come to Salis University, we would be happy to see them as well. That's great. So it seems like apraxia takes a lot of therapy and repetitive therapy. So what, in what ways can parents help with that? Well, the important thing for parents to know is that helping a child in other ways other than speech to communicate is not going to hold them back. So if you use sign language or if you use a picture communication board or even a, an, audit, um, an augmentative device like an iPad app or something to help a child communicate, uh, that's a great way to support communication and reduce frustration and it won't hold the child back from learning speech. So how are students at Salas involved with apraxia? 
Well, our students are fantastic at Salis University, and they have a National Student Speech Language Hearing Association chapter on campus. And one of the activities that the we call the NISLA chapter, the NISLA chapter does is they form a team to walk for apraxia. It's sort of a fundraising event and a, an awareness event to help people understand what apraxia is. Last year, we had a great team. We had over 50 participants on our team. I think we were the largest team at the Philadelphia Walk for Apraxia. Wow. So I was very impressed with them. Yeah, and they're I, representing Salas. They, they represented us so well, and uh, I hope to do that again this year. Uh, the next Walk for Apraxia is on September 21st at Fort Washington State Park. So what's your favorite part about being an SLP? Oh, I love being an SLP so much. Mostly it's because I feel like I really am at the moment in people's lives where they feel that they are heard and that they can express themselves. And if I can help them express themselves and be heard, it, it feels so powerful to me. And I know it's, it's adding good to the world. So that's what makes me happy. Thank you for listening. My name is Alyssa Nguyen, and this is Health Science Starts Here. Check back every other week for new episodes and listen everywhere podcasts are available. To learn more about any of the topics we talked about today, visit salis.edu slash podcast.